All right, everyone, we're ready to continue our campaign of the curse of the dismembered soul. When we left off, the departy discovered the corpse of Osbin's mother, the limbs ripped from its torso. We have a new player this time. Why don't you introduce your character? Hello, beautifuls. My name is Princess Sparkles, and I'm an enlightened druid pony. I'm so happy to be here, guys. My agent said this would be great for my fans. Fans? What? And are are you playing uh, a My Little Pony? Yes. <laughs> it took me like two hours to contour my makeup for this campaign, guys. <laughs> you like what I did with my mane? You you do remember when I said that this would be a dark and gritty campaign, right? There were that there were dark forces at work, and that not all the characters were likely to survive. <laughs> um. Yeah. Why do you think I wore my smoky eye? <laughs> Besides, my superpower can overcome any dark forces you throw at me. Hashtag power of friendship. This time on Becoming DM, we're talking about finding the right player for your game. Hey everyone, this is John. And this is Felicia. And before we really get into the topic of of finding that right player, why is it important? Can't we just pick anybody off the street and say, hey, I'm looking looking for players for my game and just have anybody buddy jump in? I personally think Princess Sparkle would fit into any campaign, but hey. <laughs> <laughs> you, you never know. Um, and and for some games, that may be just perfectly fine. Like you grab Princess Sparkle off the street and we're ready to go. Yay! <laughs> but but really, the the right person can um, can enhance your your party cohesiveness. How everybody plays at the table, it can also completely break it and ruin your game if you get the wrong person in there. So um, there are definitely people that get lucky uh, and just random pick of the draw. They get they get somebody that's good for the game, but it's not always the case. No, it's definitely true. Um, and those dynamics are definitely not something to underestimate. You know, it, it definitely is an important thing that impacts um, not just the player games, but the DM campaigns. Uh, you know, we always emphasize over and over again to look to your players for guidance on how to move your campaign forward. And if there is um, issues going on between the dynamics of your players, that obviously impacts the forward movement of the campaign itself. So we get it that not everyone has to get along all the time. We're all people, you know, flawed human beings, but we want to at least get it to the point in your campaign and your group that your players get along for the most part. Yeah, sure. There's going to be some some cases where where players want to do different things or mm-hmm. they disagree about things, but but uh, at the core, uh, understanding that that we're all in agreement about the game itself yeah. is probably a good place to start. <laughs> that would be a good, <laughs> yeah, I'd say that'd be good. <laughs> Um, another yeah, and, and th- go ahead. No, oh, well, thank you, kind sir. <laughs> <laughs> um, I was just going to piggyback on that and say that, you know, it's not just um, everyone being on the same page as far as like personality and direction of the campaign. Um, you know, it's a scheduling thing, too. Like we want people to be committed to the same extent. You know, if you have a player who wants to play every week versus the rest of your group that wants to play maybe once or twice a month, there's going to be a bit of a discrepancy there. Um, so not only do you want your personalities to fit, you also want to make sure that those scheduling conflicts are minimized. Yeah, because I'm sure it's no mystery to anyone that scheduling is the number one enemy of a D&D oh game. Oh, God, such a nightmare. Um, <laughs> when when you can't schedule, it, it can really cause the game just to break down. Everybody's like, well, it's been a few months since we played. We may as well just stop. Yep, I'm um, done. I'm over this. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> 
right. So that's why it's important, right? Yes. So let's talk about like, what do you need to do first? What do you need to ask yourself um, first? And and I think it's why you're adding somebody new to the game in the first place, right? Mm-hmm. Indeed. What, uh, what are your motivations, your intentions for bringing a new person on board? Um, a lot of these, this depends on, on the DM and the group. You know, you could be starting a completely new game and you're wanting to start with a fresh group of people that you're hoping works well together and the dynamics are going to be awesome blossom. Um, totally princess sparkle vibes here. So, you know, <laughs> that could be one reason. Um, you could be expanding and, a current game. But in the in the new game, I, I feel like there's some things that make that are easier because you don't have um you don't have a concurrent game to to consider, but there's also some things that are harder because you're bringing in all these different people that you don't know whether they're going to mesh or not. I, I agree. I think the the biggest thing, the biggest challenge of a new game is just so many of the unknowns. There's a lot of you know unknown factors, not just the type of characters, um, you know the dynamics between them. You have no idea what their playing styles are. Uh, you know you want to make sure that your campaign. Uh, you know, appeals to as many of them as possible. So it's it's a new thing for you as a DM too. You know, how do you communicate? How do you describe? Is theater of the mind better than miniatures? You know, do they enjoy, you know, RPG versus combat? Like there's just a lot of unknowns that you tend to figure out as you go along, but it's one of the biggest challenges of starting a new game with also a new group. Yep. And, uh, and as you started to say, uh, if you're expanding a current game, maybe you have mm-hmm. four people at your table and you, and you decide, I'm ready to take on the fifth. Or, or in your case, if you've got seven at the table and you're <laughs> ready to take on an eighth. Or nine. Who knows? <laughs> Mine keeps growing. <laughs> um, but yeah, in that case, you do have to take a, a little bit more into account about how they're going to fit into the group, what the group dynamics are, and if, mm-hmm. if personality-wise they're going to get along with the group. Um, and we're going to talk about more of that here in just a little bit, though. Yeah, and and um, this is a really great opportunity to sort of involve your players in the process when you have something like this. Um, you have a good control group in which to compare a new player to, so it really is valuable insight to bring in the opinions and thoughts of your players when it comes to adding someone to your campaign. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. And, and if you, if they all have input, it's a lot less likely that they're going to, going to nix the person as soon as they walk in the door. Mm-hmm. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> um, you know, the other circumstance too, is that, you know, maybe you have for one reason or another, a player exiting your group and you're looking to replace them. Um, you know, uh, this is kind of a, a interesting little scenario because, you know, depending on the reasons as to why the player left, um, depending on those circumstances, you want to, you know, if there's something negative involved or, you know, a conflict, uh, an issue, something like that, you want to make sure that you don't bring those same issues in for your new player. So just kind of analyze the reason why the previous player left. Um, you know, so that you don't either repeat the same mistakes or that you kind of learn and grow as a group um, to be able to incorporate the new character with those new standards or the new player rather. Yeah. And it can be really, um, really easy to fall into that pattern of, of, oh, this player left. Now I'm looking for a, for a new player and really um, accidentally just honing on the same characteristics because you're replacing that player. Yeah. But really keep in mind what you're looking for as a whole and what what didn't work about that player. Again, if it was a, a, a not a not a friendly departure. Um, so just keep those things in mind. Well, and the other thing to keep in mind when you're talking about like stepping into those shoes, it, not just personality, but like skill set. Like 
in my group, for example, I have a certain person in the group that acts as sort of the, the treasurer, if you will. I have the other person that acts as a historian, keeps all of our notes, keeps things organized. If one of those players were to leave, then that role suddenly becomes vacant. And, you know, we can't necessarily expect that, that the new person coming in is going to immediately fill in those shoes, that skill set. We don't even know if the new person coming in has a lot of experience. So, you know, it's not just a personality thing. It's just sort of also depending on what that person did as a skill uh, or what skills mm -hmm. they offered is also another thing to sort of just take into consideration when you're bringing someone in. Yeah. And so some of that is really understanding whether your remaining players are willing to take up that role mm -hmm. or whether the expectation is that you and the D as the DM will take up that role. Yes. Um, and whether you're willing to. So, <laughs> yeah, and that's the big one. The willingness is big. And I, I think it's important just to have that game plan ahead of time because that will impact how you bring in someone new. If you sort of work out all that nitpickingness and all that logistics before you bring in a new player and you have someone who's willing to take on those roles ahead of time, no big issue. But if it turns out that no one in your group currently wants to take on that role, then it might be something that you kind of advertise that you're looking for when you are looking for a new player. And the challenge with that is if you find somebody that's willing to do that, you're still uncertain at the beginning whether they're going to long-term last. So do you really want to give that role to this new person who maybe they come in and you, even despite all the things that you've done to make sure they're good, decide to leave after three sessions? Yeah, exactly. So Food for it's, a, it's a balancing act for sure. Mm -hmm. Exactly. Um, but there are some things that you should really, as the DM, I think, do before you really start looking for a player. And the first and I think most important is really figure out how you describe your game. Because mm -hmm. it's it's very easy for for somebody to just fall into, yeah, we play a game and, and, uh, and we're a mix of combat and role play, and that's good. Um, <laughs> it's fun. <laughs> that doesn't really tell anybody about your game because a lot of DMs are going to say, yeah, we're a mix of role play and combat because they're uncertain of which they are sometimes. Um, sometimes it's because that's actually what they are. And sometimes it's because they're looking for players and they're hoping that that will, will entice the widest variety of players that they mm. can choose from. Mm -hmm. um, but, uh, but I think that, I think that uh, by having a, a really good description of your game, it can, it can, those, those potential players, it can first off, just give them that first step. Do yeah. I want to, do I want to apply for this game? Is this game for me? Mm -hmm. Because if it's not, why waste anybody's time, including your own? No, that, that makes that's a really good point to make. I, I think in this scenario, specificity is really good. Um, you know, I, I like to sort of say that you could give examples of maybe previous campaigns that you've played, just like small little snippets. Like, you know, we're used to playing campaigns like this and like this and like this. Or, you know, if it is indeed a mix of RP and combat, um, then, you know, maybe give like a specifics of like, you know, we tend to mostly do these types of adventures, like 60% of our adventures are combat related. And then the other 40% are intrigue of like, you know, conspiracies and, you know, high RPs or, you know, haunted mansions or, you know, like you can specify to give people a better idea um, if it is indeed something that's a mix because we get it like as DMs, you may have a diverse group that plays. So, Sure, maybe your campaigns are actually indeed a hybrid of different types of styles. But if you are going to advertise that, like you were saying, John, that, you know, you need to sp be specific because, you know, really this is about not wasting people's time and trying to make this process as efficient 
um, and as accurate as possible for both parties involved. Yeah, and I think it's important because um, a lot of people will say, I like the role play aspect. And that could mean a wide swath of things to different <laughs> people. I mean, I like role play could mean I spend half an hour bartering with the merchant on the right price for the for the thing <laughs> I want to buy, uh, which a lot of people are going to be like, no, thank you. I like role playing, but I don't like that. Yeah, I'm not here to barter. <laughs> So it really, if you can, if you can nail it down mm -hmm. and I understand that, that every game is probably at least somewhat of a mix, uh, but identify what makes your unique, your mix unique, what things are unique about your game that yeah. make it stand out. Um, that'll, that'll help you find people that are really interested in playing your game and, 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 and pe keep the people that aren't away potentially. Yeah. Um, and, and. On top of that whole specificity rule that we were talking about, you know, there are other things that you can mention to help give people a better idea of what kind of campaigns you run. Um, you know, is this a low or no magic kind of campaign? Are certain mm -hmm. races not allowed? Like, are tieflings just not a thing? Or dragonborns? Are there particular setting requirements? Um, you know, you need to kind of go into that type of stuff as well. Because if you have the type of players like myself um, that really love, magic users and spell users that maybe a low or no magic type of campaign like a regular thing is probably maybe not something i'm as interested in yep so just and, something like that yeah and if, if you have any sort of sort of uh unique table rules homebrew rules mm -hmm. uh, anything like that like maybe all your players have to sing a song after they cast a spell <laughs> uh, <laughs> uh, but whatever those are it, it helps to define them you may not you may not advertise that as part of the um, listing for your game, but as you get further into discussions, you you should bring it up so that yes. so that they're aware of what they're getting into, and by by taking the time to really define your game and how you describe it, it'll be a lot easier to give that information to them. Absolutely, and the other information besides you know the overview of the plot, like if you're bringing someone into a current campaign or if you're starting a new campaign, you can give a very macro level um, overview of the story itself and the plot. Um, you can even um, talk about some of the characters that are characters or races that are actually in the game. Though I do say this with caution because there is a certain fine balance of giving too much information away, but also giving enough information so that the person feels like they're going to choose a character that they would enjoy playing with in the game. Yep, yep. And I think you had an example with uh, with with the game you're running about uh, a druid and and stuff oh, like that. Oh yeah, um, so I had a, a a group that I was running, and that was currently the one that you um, were in with uh, Kristen, and we had a set of new players that wanted to join. Um, and as the new player was building their character, they were asking if we had druids in the group, and then wanted specific information about that druid. Uh, you know, what kind, what powers, what like type of path they take, that whole thing, um, with the intention that they were hoping to build a druid that had the opposite of what she currently had, my current player, so that they could complement each other. And I was like, sorry, can't do that. Um, you know, restricting that information. I was happy to let him know that there was a druid in the group, um, just because sometimes there are players who, if they know that there's a certain player type in the group, a certain character type, they may not want to also be that same character type, which is something that I as a DM respect. But that's all the information you're going to get out of me. I'm not going to give you specifics or whatever because I don't want them to have an unfair advantage when it comes to the campaign and being able to play because, you know, that type of 
metagaming is not my style, but every DM's a little different. So just Yeah, some some DMs may be looking for that perfect mix of characters. Yeah. And there is no perfect mix of characters, let's be honest. Yeah. Um <laughs> <laughs> every every character that gets added is gonna add a unique aspect to your game, whether yes. it's the same as somebody that's in there or not. But if you are really looking for a specific lineup, um, more power to you. Go, yeah. go right to it. Yeah. I just I try to find that fine balance where it's like I you know, I don't mind, you know, if there's more than one druid in my group. I don't mind if there's more than one rogue or more than one fighter or two elves or whatever. But I respect that if a new player is coming in that they may want to know that information and allow them that choice to like kind of pick who they would like to be. But I don't give very much information outside of that just because, you know, it's, it is it's kind of an unfair advantage. And, you know, I want them to choose something based off of their own individual preferences and not what they feel would best complement the group. So. Yep. Um, additionally, something to think about when you're describing your game is is how do you present combat? And mm -hmm. we've talked a lot about this in other episodes. Uh, um, are you using theater of the mind? Are you using minis? Are you using physical maps, dry mm -hmm. erase maps, digital maps, modular um, tiles? How, <laughs> yeah. How, however, you're you're presenting combat is also going to have an effect on on what players are interested. There are some players out there that are diehard theater of the mind. That's the only way to go. Mm -hmm. And so if you're doing minis, they probably aren't going to be interested. And and you've just you've just um, narrowed your selection, uh, probably for the better, because if that's how you want want to run your game, you don't want somebody that's not interested in that type of play. Exactly. And for me, like as a DM, I spend a lot of time working on my modular tiles and my scenic effects and, you know, all that kind of stuff. So I would definitely want a player, uh, a group overall that appreciates those efforts and enjoys them. So I would not want someone who would only expect theater of the mind because you ain't getting that with me. Yeah. And uh, and if they're not interested in how you how you run that, it's likely that even if you add them to your game, um, they're probably not going to stay around for long because eventually they'll just be like, yeah, this isn't what I was expecting. I'm just going to go find another game. Yeah. So and you've just wasted everybody's time <laughs> <laughs> starting from scratch all over again. Um, the other thing to take in mind is the format of your campaigns, like your sessions. Like for me, I always offer a spread when people first come in and guaranteed at least the first half an hour of every single one of my sessions is just like eating and enjoying beverages and just chit chatting, chat chitting, uh, catching up you know, before we finally settle into our roles and start our game. It's it's guaranteed every time that that's how mine runs. Uh, and then I also offer an intermission halfway through uh, to take a break. And plus, I usually have to make scene changes and things like that. So that's always the expectation that I have when it comes to my campaigns. Yeah, maybe you have a potluck every time that you have a game and mm -hmm. somebody just has a thing against potlucks. Yeah, <laughs> you ain't willing to bring um, anything. Don't bother coming. Yeah, or or if you are playing strictly online, I know a lot of people are, are playing strictly online right mm -hmm, now for the mm -hmm. pandemic, but if it's the long-term goal that the game will stay online, um, as one of the games that I'm playing in is, then you need to make sure that the players know that up front, that, it, yeah. hey, I know that right now it looks like we're doing this because of pandemic, but even once it's over, we're still playing online because mm -hmm. people are moving and, and it's just not possible. Yeah. <laughs> So just kind of take those things into consideration when you're screening new players that they have a full understanding of what to expect. Yep. 
Um, the next thing that you probably should do is determine what your judging criteria would be. Uh, definitely don't decide this after you started talking to people. Don't be like, <laughs> well, I've got these three people and now I've talked to them. I have to decide how I'm going to decide. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> probably not the best course of action. Yeah. And, and so there's there's a lot of things that you can do. And, and really, uh, what you choose to have be your criteria is completely up to you and your game. Mm-hmm. We're just kind of trying to list some things that that uh, you might want to consider yes. and, and think about adding into those criteria. Mm-hmm. So first off, well, probably not first off, but it's in there, <laughs> is... Uh, is Do you really, uh, are you intending on just playing one system or is your goal in the long term to expand into other systems? Uh, Maybe you don't always want to play D&D. Maybe you want to play Starfinder or or, uh, Robotech or or something else. Mm -hmm. Um, And and understanding that and having your your potential players understand that um, is kind of important uh, because... You don't want to, oh, well, we've, we're six sessions in. We just finished the campaign. Now we're going to do something else. Oh. <laughs> like, oh, no, but I built my character up so well. I thought we were going to keep going. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, definitely something to take into consideration because there are definitely like those hardcore people that want to stick with the one system that they've built their character up in and they don't want to transition to something else. So that's definitely something to keep in mind. Um, yep. Your basic stuff, you know, personality, team dynamics, that kind of thing um, are definitely givens for me when it comes to uh, players. You know, I want someone for me that has a good sense of humor, um, is good with funny stuff, you know, visually oriented, the appreciation of, say, you know, scene building, that type of thing. You know, those are things that I look for when I'm looking for a player. I only look for jerks. (laughs) (laughs) This is where happiness goes to die. (laughs) Um, In addition to to personality, um, you should really uh, query them on on the type of game they're looking to play for. Because while we've talked about the the system, even within a and d game, there's lots of different types of games. You can have, as we talked about in our our intro, that dark, gritty type of game, Mm -hmm. um, serious games. You can have funny games where, where you're everything you do is kind of joking and, and your your storylines are are intended to be kind of goofy and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. Um, epic plots, high role play, high combat, all that stuff. Um, you need to really define to, to figure out what they're looking for and then compare that to what you're offering and make sure that it's a fit. Mm-hmm. Exactly. In addition to that, you know, is the type of character they want to play. Um, do you, we just kind of goes back to what I was saying before about, you know, how much information you give a new player, um, about the current group and their characters. Do you try to kind of guide slash steer them to what may benefit the group or do you leave it completely open for them to choose? Um, that's sort of an important thing to also consider as well. Yeah. And every DM is going to be different there Mm -hmm, with what they mm want. Um, um, I, when I'm running my game, they can really you can play anything within the within the parameters of the rules that we're playing with. So sometimes I run games that are core rulebook, player's handbook only. Mm-hmm. Sometimes it's wide open. As long as you stay within those, I don't typically care what what character you're playing. Um, just as long as you 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 pay attention to to how to play it. <laughs> mm-hmm. And and this you know again there are this like for example races. You know, there are certain races within the regular player's handbook that are, are totally fine. But then there are other ones that you can find that aren't necessarily found in the handbook. Um, and those are something that as a DM, you know, are you willing to accept that particular 
race or certain combinations. Like, you know, some people don't want warlocks in their campaigns. And, you know, that's even if you're not going to guide them to a specific class or a specific race, you do have to make it clear which ones you won't accept. Yep. Yep. Um, next, really, this one should have been number one, I feel, uh, is, <laughs> <laughs> is schedule availability, because it doesn't matter how good of a match they are for your game if they can't meet when your game meets. <laughs> Can they even show up? <laughs> I, I think that that one, I mean, absolutely number one thing. If if they can't show up, then it's not even wor- worth having the discussion any, For any sure. further. <laughs> For sure. And schedule availability, you know, it's not just can they show up to that campaign. You know, this, this links itself to frequency as well. You don't want a disparity in expectations. You may have a player who is expecting to play every week or a player who is expecting to play only once a month. And if your group meets every two weeks well you know what it doesn't match either one of those scenarios but you need to make sure that the frequency in which your group meets matches the expectations of the person that you're bringing on because that also will determine if they're going to end up being a long-term player for you yep and i mean i've seen people posting online about looking for players for a game that meets three times a week and I'm oh sure God. that there are people that have that sort of availability, <laughs> but that I am not one of them. Yeah, not one of those. I, I, I like we're quarantined and everything, but we've got lives, folks. We've got lives. It wouldn't be an episode of Becoming DM if we didn't mention our friends at Darkwind. Darkwind's sponsorship of the show helps pay for all the things that keep Becoming DM running. If you want to say thanks go to play.darkwind.org and create a character today. Join in on the multiplayer text-based role-playing game that you can play with friends, or if you're feeling a little antisocial, play on your own. Join and play for free at play.darkwind.org. Now let's get back to the show. Um, so also before you talk to people, you should really think about developing questions that are going to, going to help you get this information. Mm -hmm. Um, um, so I, I kind of went down my, my interview route, uh, for my recent job (laughs) and, and like thinking about asking them rather than asking them like, Hey, what kind of games do you like? Hey, tell me about the character that you play. Um, ask them. You can you can go the route. And I, again, I I will fully admit this sounds very very uh, uh, interview type questions. But I think if you phrase it the right way, you can avoid that. But ask them experiential questions, like like ask them about um, a situation their character's been in. Ask them about where they some some creative solutions they've had to problems in games in the past. Um, again. Don't get all interviewy because this isn't a job. You're you're playing a game here. So, but but if you if you formulate the questions rather than just the basic, you can maybe get a little bit more information than you were looking for. Yeah. Um, you know, another method to go about this, and this is something that I I came across when I was doing roll 20, um, was a lot of times when I was looking at postings from DMs for new campaigns or, you know, something asking for a new player to join the group was they had a questionnaire available and you would download the questionnaire and you would answer it and then you would submit it. And it asked questions about like, you know, the type of person you were, the type of games that you enjoyed, uh, if you were to create a character, what your character would be, um, their backstory. Um, and it wasn't just the facts and like the upfront type of information they were looking for. 
I've seen questionnaires that were filled out that were just like one-liner answers. And then you have other people who really thought out their answers. And you could tell that they put a lot of time and a lot of efforts into the backstories and the skills that their character had. And those were the ones that stood out. You would have like 50 applicants and like 40 of them were like one-liners just hoping to get like an easy, you know, entry into a, a campaign. And I then, just want to join a game. Yeah, just take <laughs> me, please. Um, and then you had those that really did put the time and the effort. And those were the ones that got accepted. And those were the ones that were initially screened. So if you're not like the the type of person who right off the bat wants to do like the interview type questions, you know, you can always create your own questionnaire ahead of time and just sort of have it out there for people to fill out. If you decide to go the route where you're advertising your posting, say somewhere online. But bear in mind that the more detailed questions you ask, it the the higher the expectation of what your game is going to be. Because yes. if I'm going through all this trouble to answer all these 90 some odd <laughs> super deep questions, this better be a super game. Yeah, this must be one <laughs> heck of a campaign you're going to run because, uh, <laughs> yeah, be realistic in the level of detail that you put into your questions. Yes, you want a good match for your group, but you don't necessarily want to put like an unrealistic precedent when it comes to the type of games that you run. If your group tends to be a casual, fun-loving group that has, you know, these easy-go-lucky games, it probably does not behoove you to have a crazy, detailed, micro-level interview question (laughs) that asks like for their past work history from the past 10 years um, <laughs> you know, to see if they're a good fit. Now, I mean, really, if if you're gonna ask questions like this, my my general target when I'm when I'm asking questions like this is is one to three questions. Mm-hmm. So, um, what is your yeah, favorite I'll color? Still, I'll I'll still ask questions about them as a person. And be like, hey, tell me about yourself. What are you looking for? Kind of things like that. But if I'm going into this, like. A little bit more nuanced question thing. I'm I'm looking for one to three, mm-hmm. where where you have to put a little bit more thought into it than just being yourself. <laughs> um, yeah. So uh, another thing to kind of think about is if there's just certain things like immediate disqualifies. Um, you know, if if you're screening someone and there's something that comes up that would immediately be like, nope, nope, this person is not a fit, no matter what. Think of those things that are automatically like, nope, not going to happen in your group as well. Um, You know, if you have a person who tends to be constantly disruptive, uh, refer back to that one episode we did about (laughs) the problem players. (laughs) Uh, That's a good start. But, you know, again, scheduling availability, you know, that expectation or maybe like you were mentioning before, John, where you had someone who was expecting a high combat kind of campaign. But, you know, there's mostly... RP and intrigues in this one, or maybe the style, you know, um, of your game doesn't um, match with that of the player. Like, if there's going to be, like, immediate, like, things that pop up that you know are going to clash, it could just be an automatic disqualification. Yeah, and for some games, the disqualify stuff is going to be, maybe somebody's looking for only only experienced uh, role players yeah. where they've played the game before and and they don't want to have to spend time explaining the rules. Oh my gosh. Perfectly yes. valid way to roll your game to yeah. roll your game. Um but but maybe maybe you also have a requirement that you want new players. So yeah. it can go either way. You just have to identify what those things are that that make you say, no, absolutely not. This is a this is a, a hard line that I do not compromise on. <laughs> yes. And that happens in roll 20 as well when I was scrolling through different 
different um, campaign posts was you know, people were like, oh, you know, open to new players or open to people who are new to Roll20. Because especially in the like in the context of Roll20, it's a whole new level of things you have to know. You don't just know the rules of, say, D&D or Pathfinder. You have to know how to run Roll20. And if you don't yep. know how to do that, you waste a lot of time trying to show someone, no, turn that button on. No, no, this is off. No, you don't know how to work Discord. Like, you know, there's a lot <laughs> that goes into it. Um, some people don't even know how to roll the dice in Roll20, you know, and, you know, there's there's a whole thing with that um, that takes away from the enjoyment of the other players. So, yeah, absolutely set standards, you know, if, if you feel like it's going to really detract from the gameplay. Yep. Um. And and when you have all these requirements, even if it's the ones that are not going to auto, auto disqualify people, when you have the questions and when you have the things that you're looking for, um, make sure that you have a a, a weighting. Uh, determine how you're going to mm-hmm. rank the items because chances are, if you don't, you're gonna you're gonna end up with these these two maybe three people that are very close, and so they're all tied with how you would rank them because you haven't had any sort of weighting. But maybe. Um, um, Joe has a better schedule, so he should be ranked higher. Or maybe mm-hmm. Sally is is looking for the specific type of game that you're looking to play and has has experience in those types of game. Whatever it is, you need to determine what things are most important to you. And so when you're evaluating someone, rank those higher as far as what what weight you give to them. Absolutely. And and before you go down this rabbit hole of uh, <laughs> player selection, just Keep in mind to be realistic in your expectations. You will not find that one perfect player for your group. Um, You know, it's good to find someone who will match overall with what you're looking for, but you're not going to have a person that ticks off every single box. And if you're aspiring to perfection, you could actually miss some really, really good candidates for your group. I was going to say, and even even if you could find somebody that was the perfect uh, candidate, you probably wouldn't be able to interview to identify them through this process. Let's just be <laughs> honest. No, no process is going to be perfect doing that. Yeah. So, um, all right. So we've talked a little bit about uh, what sort of information we want to gather from the from the potential players, mm-hmm. but. Let's talk a little bit about how we get those details from it. Um, as as we mentioned before, um, questionnaires work work well to, to have some of that uh, pre information to to get it before you go on to the next uh, next steps, which may take a little bit more time uh, from you and potentially your players. Mm-hmm. Personality um, pre screening. Yep. And uh, uh, you can do a simple call uh, uh, via just a, a telephone or Discord, video, whatever, uh, to talk through the game that you run and, and the questions that you have for them. Makes a lot of sense is, nowadays. Yeah, and it, it's pretty easy to do because every everybody typically has a way that you can contact them with this, even mm-hmm. if it's a standard plain old telephone call. Um, so it, it's a good place to start at. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and if you're feeling up to it, because obviously this this does change drastically where you're living, but if um, you feel that you are up for a meeting for a drink and sort of seeing if you guys get along and have a good personality, some good convo, um, that's also an option if that exists where you guys are at. Yeah, uh, and 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 being able to have that uh, that more social scene 
rather than having a call where you're interviewing and <laughs> it can be a little bit less stressful so that you can see a little bit more of the true color of the person you're talking to. Mm -hmm. uh, um, and, and you get you get a little bit more personality information than you would through just asking questions, I think. Yeah, exactly. And, and you get a little more insight into like their playing styles and their preferences. I mean, you can only really answer so much on a questionnaire. Uh, at some yeah, point yeah. in time, you really do have to meet that you know, virtually or otherwise, but you really just have to have that kind of one-on-one -on -one conversation to really see intuitively if this is a person that's a good mit, uh, a good match for your group. Yep. Um, and then now if oh, go ahead, go ahead. Your turn. I was gonna say <laughs> if you have a if you have uh, your your potential players narrowed down to to two, maybe three, uh, a good way to to really make that decision is to invite them for a one shot. Have the players of your game come on and and they play a one shot with with the with the potential candidates. Mm -hmm. And it really gets it, it really is an immersive way to to see how they they're going to fit in with the group and whether they're going to get along first off. <laughs> yes, yes. And and this is a method that will probably give you the most amount of information that you need as far as if this person is going to be the right fit for your group. But it also means there's a lot more work to do on your side as a DM because a lot these, more. Work. <laughs> yes, because these are one shot adventures. And if you are doing more than one player, you know, two or three candidates, then you're probably going to have to do a one shot scenario, different one shot scenarios rather uh, for each of those respective players. Otherwise, if you're involving the rest of your group, they're going to be playing the same story over and over again. And that, that turns out to be a rather tedious process for them as well. Yeah, not to mention you'll be running the same game over and over again, too. So wah, wah. it can be tedious for you, too. Yes. <laughs> um, but the good thing uh, about all of this is that you get the benefit of getting the insight from your players. You know, maybe they notice something about the dynamics or their method or their personality that you didn't catch. And, you know, that's something that like once the player has played and left that you can kind of sit down with your group and sort of gauge their um you know their response and their perceptions yeah and and really it's up to you whether you do it after each individual one or after you after all of them um mm -hmm. I, I think there's value for both and maybe do both because yeah. sure when they when they sit down with the first one they may be like oh yeah this guy's awesome this guy's great and then when they sit down with the second one Oh, that first guy kind of sucked compared to this, yeah, this guy. I didn't know what I um, had. Just, just being able to to compare and contrast, um, giving them a, a time, a, a chance to come back around and and revisit the 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 session um, after after they've seen both, I think is valuable there. Yeah, for sure, absolutely. Um, so you know, talking about like new players, you know, we've been talking, I think, up to this point about sort of how to screen these new players. And we've kind of been doing it off of the assumption that you have already had candidates just crawling at your door and banging those doors down, like, let me in to play your group. Um, <laughs> but it is worth addressing that, you know, maybe you're actually struggling to find players and where to find these players. You know, there's, there's a few different um, sources just depending on on you as a DM and, and kind of where you're at. But um, for me, I've always gotten my existing players from references like networking, like friend of a friend um, has always been like, hey, so-and-so was thinking about playing and I've been talking about your campaign. It would be really cool maybe if they could, you know, come and play. Uh, so, you know, for me, um, references tends to be, you know, um, one of my main ways of, of getting new players. Yeah, and and having somebody from your existing group refer somebody else is actually a really good way to to find somebody that that at least has a 
baseline qualification. You yeah. know that this per you know you like this person, and so if you trust their judgment, mm-hmm. um, you can probably know that you'll probably like the person that they're referring to. Yes, exactly. And and it doesn't always work out, of course. You know, I've had a, a person or two that I you know included in my group that did not work out at all for one reason or another. And these were people that were referred from existing players within my group. So, I mean, there is still a risk involved. Sometimes it works out amazingly. And other times, yeah, thank you, next. <laughs> so if you are going to uh, look into references, just make sure, I-, I think, to set, have a level set with the with the player that's referring them and say, listen, I, I really appreciate you referring this person. I'm going to talk to them. I'm going to see if they're a fit for the group. But I need you to be aware that this is not a definite shoe-in just because they're mm-hmm. your friend. Exactly, right? <laughs> Trying to avoid the hurt feelings of, of oh, you didn't get my friend, yeah. you suck, anything like that. Yeah. And sometimes it's not even just about, like, the person themselves. Like, sometimes, you know, it's just about you only want a group of four people because that is what you as a DM know that you can manage well. And there's only one slot to fix and or, you know, one slot to fill. And you've had two people that were referred to you um, for yep. your group, you know, it may just really honestly, they could both be really good candidates and it just may honestly be a matter of just logistics. Like you just have one slot to fill and there's really no way that you would be willing to take on someone else. Um, So it's always good to kind of reiterate that, like or reiterate that to them that, you know, it's just you're keeping a group to a certain size and, and, you know, that's why, you know, you couldn't include this player. Yep. Uh, so another place to look for for new players are coworkers and friends. So this these would be people that aren't already playing your game, that aren't necessarily friends of people that are mm-hmm, in the game. Mm-hmm. Um, that that you're like, you know, this guy just has a just the right enough uh, right amount of nerdy to him. I bet he'd <laughs> like this. A fine balance of nerd, if I do say so myself. Yeah, and, and I've 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 asked some people like this before, and. And oftentimes what I found is one of a couple of things. One is they've always been interested in playing and mm-hmm. they just didn't know how to start. Yeah. Uh, two is they have played and they just didn't have a game to play with. And yeah. so they haven't played in years and have been, in fact, I've got a player in my current game who was exactly like this. I was talking to him and I briefly mentioned um, this podcast <laughs> and he started asking me questions and we were like, and he was like, and I was like, do you play? He's like, yeah, man, it's been a long time, blah, blah, Aww. blah. I was like, well, I'm looking for somebody for my game. <laughs> oh, I love stories like this. Like, Happily ever after. <laughs> yeah. No, it's funny. I, I come across so many people who are like, oh, man, yeah, I love D&D, blah, blah, blah. And they're like, oh, but my group fell apart. Or, yeah, you know, we just haven't really figured out, like, how to get started or blah, blah, blah. And I always, ugh always so much want to like invite them to play with our group and then i have to stop myself because i'm like all right felicia if you took in every single player that you come across you'd have like 35 people in your group and that's just not happening so (laughs) i sometimes have to bite turn timers galore (laughs) (laughs) so yeah oh it's such a hard thing for me because it's like oh i love sharing the experience and and you know keeping it alive and keeping it fun and it, it is hard um because you do want to include people, especially when you share something like that. Yeah. And and finding out that like this person that you've known for so long that you do share this interest is really mm-hmm. cool. So you yeah. want to experience it with them. Yeah. <laughs> and as the DM, we have the power. You know, we're not just a player in someone else's group. You're the DM. You get to say. And so that's another thing where it's like, oh, 
you know, it's like, uh, I just want to take him. I know I can, but, you know, should you? <laughs> um, so, yeah, just a little, little fun thing there. But, um, you know, another source is, I think this is, is a pretty um, common one for most people, which is like just your local game or comic book store. Um, and I know like recent times, obviously, you know, um, things have changed a lot as far as like games being hosted in comic stores are not really happening as much or if at all lately. But I will say this, that if you are someone who as a DM or even as a player looking to just kind of get more information, get insight, or just to talk to other people who may know about it or have an interest in it, your local comic book store, your local game store is a great place to go because more than likely that person sitting behind the desk has played um, or is yep. currently playing or is part of a group or maybe knows someone who is looking for someone to join the group. So even if you don't necessarily um, have a way to play like an actual current game at the store because no one's playing in stores right now, it's still a great opportunity for networking. Um, and like my husband and I, when we first started doing um, D&D, we were part of a group that did miniatures and we were really excited to get like our miniatures and then realized we had no way to paint them and we had no tools and resources. And gosh darn, is that stuff expensive? So um, <laughs> we were fortunate in that our comic book store offered uh, once a week um, little get together group that the comic book actually supplied the paintbrushes and the paints. And there was a staff member who came um, who did miniature painting and like would show you the techniques and kind of helped you paint your own miniature. And it didn't cost anything. And it was so great because we learned how to do it. Um, very great and deep appreciation for that, by the way, now. Um, but also, like, just was able to, like, meet up with other people who had similar interests. And that in and of itself was really fun for us and just kind of helped to further our enthusiasm and excitement for that. So. Yep. 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 And there's a there's also, as far as finding games uh, or finding people for your games, there's, there are a couple of apps. Um, Meetup is one of them. And mm -hmm. there's a lot. Oh, yeah. There's I. I know that um, in the Austin area I looked in, there were there were at least half a dozen groups that were specifically about people looking for games, people mm -hmm. looking for people for their games, stuff like that. Yeah. Um, so check out Meetup. Uh, the next app I'm going to move on to just because I have a lot of experience using this, finding mm -hmm. uh, people for games. Uh, and, and it's not one that most people think about, uh, but it worked out really well for me. It's mm -hmm. Nextdoor. Yes. And... I posted to Nextdoor and when I was starting my Pathfinder group. So I had no no people at all. And I ended up having more people than I could actually fit at the table. I ended up having to have this, this thought process of, oh, great. <laughs> well, now how do I evaluate the people that are going to be there? You got to do your own and, screen process. <laughs> yeah. And and uh, it all worked out. Um, in fact, that's how Felicia and I met was through that Nextdoor post. And she joined so the game that I was running. True um, story. <laughs> And uh, and that that game is still going. In fact, uh, I think a week from now, I'm going to be running the next session for them. So so uh, there's that. Oh man, <sighs> time flies. <laughs> <laughs> um, but you know, I'll, this is another one too that probably people have or haven't used. But there are tons of Facebook groups out there that you can join. Mm -hmm. Local Facebook groups um, that you can see if people are building groups or just as a resource, as a player, or as a DM. It's, it's just a really great way, whether you decide to do in-person or even if you decide to do online, Facebook groups are a really great place to network and find like-minded people um, who are just kind of looking to connect. 
Yep. Um, and if you're looking for that in person, there is a good chance that there's a a a D and D Facebook group for your area. Yep, uh, so exactly. here in Austin, there is one for Austin that I found a group with, mm. and that uh, that since then we've found two more people for that group uh, for that group. But if you're strictly looking for online play, it doesn't have to be a local group. You can just look for um, for groups that are specifically for finding um, finding players or, mm-hmm. or whatever. Yep, exactly. And you know, this isn't just you know group playing, you know, or uh, deciding who to join. There are Facebook groups related to, you know, RPGs out there for everything. So I have one that I do specifically for crafting scenery for D&D. Um, and I've learned so many great things from that group, like so many great techniques that have allowed me to enhance my game and campaigns for my current players. So it's a great way to branch out and see other things. I didn't even think of it when I was looking at Facebook that like, oh, there's a Facebook group that's specifically for crafting scenery for like role playing games. Like what? That exists? <laughs> How did I know that? So yeah, um, it's it's a great it's a great way to just sort of expand your horizons on on as a player as a DM um, joining people just seeing what other people are doing out there with role playing games. Yep, uh, and then beyond Facebook, mm. there are a number of online game directories, and yes. we will n- never be able to touch all the ones that are out there. <laughs> no. <laughs> But uh, but Roll Twenty has a has a directory for people that are looking to join a Roll Twenty game. Like so your you easiest can search one to get onto. Yep, and as Felicia mentioned, some of them have questionnaires that they pre-screen people for. Yes, and, they do. Um, and some of them have requirements, like they're looking for new players or experienced players or people mm-hmm. that know how to use Roll Twenty or people yeah. with a third nipple, whatever. Uh, <laughs> oh my god! <laughs> probably you have to prove not that, that last one. <laughs> uh, um, but there's also discord. There's a number of discord servers out there that yeah. are, that are for, um, for finding games. There's also uh, play by post where, where, uh, where you can play on discord just, uh, via text. Mm-hmm. And then there's a Reddit R slash LFG. And I don't use Reddit enough to know if I said uh, that correctly, but, <laughs> but it's a looking it's for group group on Reddit, um, that, that you could, uh, you could post, uh, that you're looking for people and mm-hmm. find it that way. So many resources. <laughs> yeah, and, and like I said, we could we could probably spend an entire episode just going through the online resources, but Ooh, that not, probably wouldn't not. be nearly as nearly as interesting. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so I think that's all we wanted to cover today. If yeah. you are looking for a new player for your game, we wish you the best of luck. Mm-hmm. Good luck. Good luck. And until next time. Stay Stay nerdy, nerdy, friends. Thanks for joining us again. As always, it really helps when you share the show with friends to help increase our listenership. Send them to our website, becomingdm.com, or Facebook, we are facebook.com slash becomingdm, and on Twitter, we're at becomingdm. Becoming DM is produced by John Welsh and Felicia Martinez. The show is edited by John Welsh. We'll be back in two weeks. See you then.